Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker and Friends, part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report, and you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker. He is Jim Jackson, NBA vet, fellow FS1 basketball analyst, uh, also Big Three broadcaster. Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate your taking the time. There's a lot that I want to get into. I want to start with the Big Three, uh, simply because mm-hmm. it's one of the, the, the things that you're doing. And you never you never played in the Big Three. And I have to, I have to commend you on that because... <laughs> I've seen we've seen plenty of guys that are st- they they want to reach back for a little bit of glory a little bit of like I can still get it done, and you decided in my opinion to stay on the right side of the microphone. So, congratulations for that. I'm just wondering, yeah. was was there any was there any tug was there any pull anytime where you're like you're doing a game and you're going, well, damn, if he can still get it up, I can like I can still I could probably get out there and and do a little something. You want the truth or you want the truth? <laughs> which one do you want? <laughs> which, which one do you want? Uh, yeah, no, give it to me straight. What? what, what? <laughs> Hell no. Never thought about it. Really? Really? Never. No. And you know why? I mean, you can see yourself playing, but I see myself playing in the NBA game too. I mean, uh-huh. you know, whatever. But I was I realized two couple of things. One, I haven't played full court since I retired. The year after I retired, maybe 07. Okay. So that's 12 years, right? Yep. Haven't played. Do I shoot around, play horse when I'm doing games? Yes. I, you know, play with my son when he was younger? Yes. But full court, no. The issue and the challenge you have, Rick, is once you stop playing, to try it over a period of time, mm-hmm. years, you try to get back in. Okay, you start to work out, do things you feel good, you think you can move. The injuries that typically happen are Achilles. Yeah. And ACL. Yeah. Okay? Because your body's just not used to those movements, the running, the jumping, the pushing off, you know, defending, sliding, all those little things, turning quickly and taking off after. Your body's just not used to that anymore. So I commend a lot of guys. I think the guys that continue to play post their career, Mm -hmm. whether that's in leagues or just regular pickup, now they're they're fine. The issue is trying to come back after not doing it. And I was smart enough to say, you know what? I love the summertime to play golf. <laughs> and the last thing I want to do is be rehabbing at 40-something years old yeah. for me and missing golf. See, I, Okay, so let me 
I was just going to say, you could have shortened this whole thing by going, yeah, the reason I don't play is because I like golf too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted, I wanted to build it up so I could get there. It's <laughs> all about the build up. It's very, that's very true. <laughs> so I look at you physically and I think about – now, to be clear, you mentioned injuries. I don't remember you having any significant or catastrophic injury while you're playing. Am I am I forgetting something? Yep, you are. Hmm. If we go back to the ninety four ninety five season, um, Jamal Mashburn and I were fourth and fifth league scoring in the league at twenty six and twenty five. Yeah. Fifty one games into the season, I tore my ankle up. So. That altered and totally changed my okay. career. Keep this is back then, where you know if you do it now, the recovery, the training, the physical therapy, you can kind of get back. That injury totally took away. Well, I'm gonna say took away, but it took away a lot of my athleticism, mm. my explosion, and it changed the way I played. So, yeah, I, I mean that. I think about that a lot. Hmm. You know what what could have been yeah. if I'd never got injured. See that's when I, when I think about you, I think about the combination. And, and now that now that you refresh my memory, you played a much more methodical physical game. You kind of went to the Wes Matthews post Achilles uh, game, yep. as opposed to. But before that, I just I remember. I mean, obviously running with uh, with Jay and Dallas and and that whole deal. You guys played a, a fairly up tempo style back then already, especially for that. For that era, the yeah, because of Jay Kidd, Dick yeah, Mata. right. You had to, right? <laughs> you had to. But um, I think of you like I, I picture you playing now, and I could see you as a like almost as a stretch four because of your physicality and yet still still having speed. Like I could see I, I could see you playing bigger and being able to hand that at the defensive end and then take advantage at the other end. That's... Yeah, you know what? If I play to, if I play today, I look at a combination, Rick. Yeah. I look at somebody like because I would grow up watching three point shooting. Yeah. And the way I'm built, I would look at Clay Thompson with more creative okay. ability with the, okay. because that's how I because I, I was bigger. Yeah. I got to be able to shoot it a lot better later in my career. Yeah. But I always had the playmaking skills because I played point guard in high school, played it in college, and played it early in my career. Yeah. But. Just looking at the way Clay plays, his ability to use the pick and roll, can post up some when you need to be. But I think I can be more creative. But that's if I'm with the same body build. Right. You know what I mean? I would look and say, who's been successful and why, and what do they do? And they would be kind of looking at what Clay does. Yeah. And maybe a Bradley Bill to some more, extent. You with know a little what I mean? More that combination in there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I I can see that. I mean, honestly, the way the game's played now, the two, three, four are almost interchangeable a lot, right? Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. it just depends on mm-hmm. what you're being asked to do at, at at various times. We got we got point fours. Obviously, we got point threes. It has become more interchangeable than ever. This is what I'm. Re- this is the other thing that I remember about your career. And full confession, this is why I'm I'm obsessed with shooting and shooting form. And I've made certain that my kids are like and and they've they've suffered this they don't know they don't know why they've suffered this but they've suffered this because i grew up i grew up and my first sport was soccer and that's what i really became good at and i always when i played basketball i always played with older kids and so 
I had to shoot from range before I ever actually learned how to shoot a basketball. So I had the Joakim Noah, I had my thumbs, both thumbs, way too involved in the shot to ever have a consistent shot. And it's like a mm-hmm. bad golf swing. From the time that I was in my, you know, like 11, 12, I've been able, I've been working on correcting that shot. And the one thing, and I'm left-handed on top of it. The one thing I swore right. was my kids were going to have great shooting form playing basketball. I didn't care how much they played, where they played, whatever. But if they picked up a basketball, that stuff was going to look nice. They were going to be, they were going to have a, a shot that they could be proud of their entire lives. I, I set the bar very low for myself as a parent and for them as kids. <laughs> so, all right. So that, so that said, so I've studied a lot, and what I remember about yours, and I've become more fascinated by all the different shots that I've seen is that you had like this three-quarter rotation or this 20-degree, 80-degree rotation. I think if I've had that right, 45, maybe I've got that wrong, like 15-degree, 60-degree. You know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't overcomplicate. Yeah, I know, I'm, I, and I am, and I am. And this is <laughs> – yeah. So yeah. what, what I wonder is now, and you're not alone. I thought about this with a lot of guys where I look at you from a physical standpoint – your basketball IQ, your general skills. And I first of all, what how did that shot develop and what were you were you ever trying to correct it or what were you doing with that shot at that time to have that kind of rotation? It was a it was an evolution process from high school to college when I shot outside but not a lot. I was a good, you know, mid-range shooter three-point college shooter, didn't shoot a lot. Again, the game was different in regards to how many you took a game. Mm-hmm. But when I got into the league, that was one of my weakest areas was three-point shooting. But I got better every year mm-hmm. and actually focused on the form. I just always would tweak my form a little bit more. Post my injury, Rick, I really had to focus more on the jump shot, the ability to shoot it quickly, catch mm-hmm. it, and release it. I tell you, when I took the biggest jump was in Sacramento, probably in, well, yeah, maybe Sacramento um, in 02, 03, because I was spotting up a lot more. I, You know how Clay can catch it right in mid-chest and go yep. right up to a shot? Yep. I started working on that a lot more because I figured the game, that's how I needed to get my shot up. Mm-hmm. So every year, I mean, I would look at form and, I, you know, my free throws change my form along with my jump shot to get a higher arc, a better rotation, a softer touch, to be able to catch mid, mid-pocket and go right up into your shot. Save yourself that half a second, quarter of a second, the defender can't get back in. So by the time I got to the end of my career, like in Phoenix and then the Lakers, right. I had perfected being able to really catch and shoot either off a, you know, a downstream or the spot up to be able to get that soft rotation with the high arc where it was an evolution over the years. Like, like Tiger Woods was always kind of tweaking his golf swing, mm-hmm. kind of get it to where he needed to. Yeah. It was the same thing for me from a jump shot, knowing that that was going to be my bread and butter later in my career um, that would keep me viable. Now, you had on that Kings t- team, if I'm not mistaken – there was Bibby, there was Bobby Jackson, there were Peja Stojakovic, there was Hito. Mm-hmm. Like, there were some guys that could shoot a little bit. 
from from range. Was there anybody in particular that you you looked at or you gained the most from either either watching them or talking to them, but the, or, or just studying them as far as what they did shooting wise. Uh, Pager was great coming off the screens and how he utilized his shoulders and his inside foot to turn and catch. Ray Allen was great at being able to catch really quickly, um, not just you know from a Sacramento perspective of watching great shooters in the league mm-hmm. on how Ray was able to catch real quick and shoot. Yeah, and you know how do you save? The question is how do you save yourself that half a second to get the shot up when when the defender is chasing you or when they're rotating over to, to defend you. And watching those guys at that particular time, two different forms, but yet and still effective in different ways, Pager wasn't the fastest guy. Ray wasn't the fastest guy. But the release to be able to catch the ball, get it up quickly, and get the shot up. Now, keep in mind, Pager was 6'8". That right. helped. Right, right. But, and know, and, and kind of big body, guy. too. Like, and, bi- and, big and wide. But he, he had the soft touch. Yeah. Because when Pager missed, it was, you know, Rick, we talk about it. It was a good miss. Right. It was a good miss, meaning that you could get an offensive rebound. It didn't clank and go right. out of bounds on the half court. On some weird so angle. Yeah. It was some real angle. He developed such a soft touch, even from distance, that when he missed, you had an opportunity for either a bounce and roll in or, you know, a high percentage of the time you could get an offensive rebound. This is what I found fascinating about his shot is that his elbow would fly. Like, his elbow wasn't in, and yet he could shoot from from midcourt. He could shoot a jump shot from midcourt. I was always fascinated by that because generally you got to have all that in alignment in order to get all the, you know, all the, all the power generated out of your legs for it to transfer. That's what, I, that's what I always found fascinating about that he shot the percentage that he did and that he shot from the range that he did considering that that elbow always seemed to be out. Well, let me give you two examples. Larry Bird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Remember that elbow was out? Yep. Reggie Miller. Yeah. Reggie Miller's Reggie Miller's is is such a jacked up shot. I, I, yeah. It is. But, but Rick, when he got it back to the point of finishing. Yes. Like Jim Shurek when he seen, when he swings the golf club. Okay. Yep. When he takes it back, it's not. But his point of impact, yep. when, he, when he gets his hands in front, yep. okay, when you look at where his hands are when he's about to make contact, yeah. that's where you want to be. So yeah. it's that little space in between that golf swing and that jump shot you need to get it back to. Now, how you get it up is one thing. But when you're releasing it, that release point and where your form is at right there and how you release it is – it's so critical. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good point. I mean, I even there's guys. I mean, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is not Lonzo Ball, but there's it's a little Lonzo Ballish, and then the ball is coming up from his left side and crosses oh, yeah. his face before he shoots it. But you're exactly right. Like the release point and where he is when he's letting go of the ball is ultimately where you want it to be. All right, so. What I really, I, I really, we spent half the podcast on this other stuff, which I don't mind. But what I really wanted to have you on to talk about, because I've talked to a variety of guys in the league, had this conversation many a time about medical staffs and the, the great disparity uh, between them. Derek Fisher and I first had this conversation, and I think it was, he'd gone from 
the the Lakers to Utah to Golden State and or maybe it was Golden State, Utah and Lakers. But he he'd gone to a couple different places and it opened his eyes to that not every medical staff is the same. And I bring uh, not even close. And and he was talking already then. You know, there there has to be some sort of there should be some baseline level of uh, just ability or uh, acumen when it comes to teams and their medical staffs. Uh, this is brought up by Andre Iguodala, who was uh, shipped off to Siberia, otherwise known as the Memphis Grizzlies, <laughs> because he he talked about how the the Warriors put out that he had a bone bruise when it was actually a fracture, and he got just a little too honest about what, honestly, I think we both know is not all that an unusual occurrence. And so I just wonder, just from from the start, when you heard what Andre said on The Breakfast Club, what was your first reaction? Uh, is he going back to Golden State? <laughs> 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 I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, because he was truth in that in regards to Rick, over the years, and you got many awards stories. Even when I got injured, they were trying to get me back early. I was like, man, I can barely walk and jump. Yep. But the team doctor was trying to appease the coach and vice versa, and they wanted to get back. And I seen him with Chris Weber. He got misdiagnosed with his knee when he was in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there's, there's a plethora of stories where this has happened. And, you know, the league has tried to – make a separation of state, so to speak, where you can have an independent doctor to be able to give you. But if you do that, now you're looked upon as being disloyal to the team. Look at Kawhi's situation. Yep. Okay? You know, and it's always that thin line, and I know you're talking about a baseline as far as across the NBA, but what is that? Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what is that baseline in regards to the criteria? Because really these guys are experienced doctors, who obviously have their license and in good practice, but where does the point that it gets tainted towards the team? And that credibility of that doctor is now uh, in question. Yeah. And that's my biggest issue. And I, and I do believe that a player, and I think it's evolving to this, a player should be able to get a second opinion without being ostracized by, the, by their um, organization. Yeah. Well, it's okay. funny. So Will Blackman does uh, does the podcast with me a couple of days a week, and we were we 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 hit on the subject, and he was saying how with NFL teams, you don't even want to go in the training room, because if you go in the training room, that alone the coaches are going to ask, okay, what's why's Will in here? Like, what's he doing? Yep. The question of is he hurt? Is it? It's an almost an immediate. If he's not hurt, is he malingering? Like, is he? Is he looking for an out? Is he look what like what what? There's a suspicion that immediately goes with you yep. looking for <laughs> medical attention. That I don't. It just it seems extraordinary to me considering the value of guys staying healthy. Did you did you ever experience anything like that in the? End? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. NBA? Well, you, you would, you with trainers a lot of times, you could you try to talk to trainers a little bit. Yeah, but this hurts. It doesn't hurt. Because, you know, if, one, if you're off time, you know, that may give somebody another opportunity. Right. You never wanted to have the coaching staff or ownership see that you hurt, especially contract years coming up. Mm-hmm. Because you always did. Also, if you were injured and you took it to the team doctor, depending on what your standing was with the organization, they may not agree with the injury. You know, but I take it even a step further, where a lot of players are are weary about talking to uh, specialists with the with the teams. Think about the uh, like a psychiatrist mm. going to work out flush out issues. Mm. A lot of guys would be hesitant to talk to a team psychologist, okay, because they feel that if they open up too much, that information now gets disseminated to or turned over to the organization, yeah. which then can be held against you. So it's not only the physical doctors but also if you have some issues mentally or do you want to discuss a player still hesitant about doing that in the team environment yeah this is to me why when guys take a very skeptical view toward teams where and i don't know the the full ins and outs of what went on with kd and the warriors but what rubs me the wrong way is hearing from fans Oh, look, you know, look at all the Warriors did for KD. KD's got no, he should have no issues. He should have no complaint. It's, it's, it's all his decision. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes where a, a player is being, you know, there's, sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's passive-aggressive, but you're being manipulated. And if you're of any level of intelligence... You, K, KD, I mean, guys that are just smart dudes and you can see through all this subterfuge, like it's hard not to be jaundiced or it's not, it's hard, you know, depending on, on how much independence you have, it's hard not to express that. And, and when fans don't get that, that's, it's like, you don't understand the game that's being played here. Like, you love the team and you think they do everything right. This is a business, man, and sometimes it's a really shady business. Well, here's the – and this is first person. You know, I'm in the record books for, uh, you know, tied for the most teams played, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm also in the record books for the longest holdout. Chucky Brown's still pissed off at you, NBA. by the way. Yeah, I know. He wanted to have, I saw he Chucky won. the other day at the big three game, too. He, he looked at me like, I can't believe you, you tied me. But I hold the record for the longest holdout. And you're talking about introduction to business. So it was my, my rookie year. I'm drafted fourth, right? Yeah. It, at that time, no rookie scale, but it's a market value. Right. Third pick signs for this, fourth pick, you know, and so on. Right. I fell between Tristan Leitner and Lafonso, what I said, the fourth pick. Asked for the contract that was conducive to that. Right. Mavs didn't want to pay me. I remember this. I held out. Yeah. Okay. But here's the here's the narrative. I'm the bad guy, based on the team and what they disseminate from the information. Right. All I'm asking for is I'm not going to ask more than Christian Leitner. Right. But I'm not going to take less than 
LaFon Duella. Yep. So this is my, but you talking about trust and understanding if this is a, that, that was my first taste of business. And since yeah. then, I couldn't trust an yeah. organization. Yeah. Okay, when I was in Sacramento, had a great year, I'm thinking I'm signing back. But the information Sacramento put out was that, well, we didn't think we can sign Jimmy to a contract, to a number. Well, hell, they never offered me. They never brought it to the table. Hmm. But the information they put out was that we couldn't reach terms on the number. But hmm. they went out and gra- got Brad Davis. I mean, um, not Brad Davis, um, from Indiana. Um, that went to Purdue. Brad, uh, Are you thinking about Brad Miller? Get, I mean, Brad Miller. There we go. Brad Miller. Okay. It was Brad. Way to go. Way to go, Rick. It, it eventually but, comes it comes to me. It's it, just, it, it, yeah. We, we're old, man. That's, that's what happens. <laughs> you know, things escape us at times. You know Indeed. what I mean? <laughs> um, They went and signed them. But the narrative was that you're talking about trust in the business, and this is why guys are weary, is this is what they put out. And right. I'm sitting there like, but damn, I didn't even get a contract offered, a chance to say, well, you know what, maybe I will take less or maybe this. So that, that's when you talk about the business and guys being weary and, and not trusting the organization, these are some of the reasons why. Sure. Do you think it's do you think it's gotten any better? Do you think it's how do you think it might have changed? Well, in the NBA, I truly believe players have more power now to dictate their terms. Okay? Hmm. Now, we had a conversation today in regards to KD and the Golden State Warriors, and my thing was well, I mean, in Iggy, an organization well, – I mean, um, yeah, it was Iggy, but it was also Kevin Durant. An organization will never admit when they're wrong. Mm. Okay? So they're always in protective mode. It'd be right. a lot easier to say, you know what, there was a bad trade for us. Oh, bad pickup for a free agent. We thought we did something. You move on. But mm. they're going to cover their track. Okay? Right. So I don't – I think players now have – what we always fought for was players who have better – the ability to move more, but to have more control. And we've gotten that. But yet and still, it's still going to have that power piece that struggles with ownership at times. Because that's the dynamic of the employee to employer. You know, but it has, I think, gotten a little bit better. Not as bad as it used to be. Still have a long way to go, but an ownership is going to protect their interests at all costs. Yeah. This is what really, really has disappointed me, and I've actually had a conversation, or I'm going to have a conversation at Summer League with um, with some Warriors people, because I think what troubles me is that they've tried so hard, in my mind, to control a narrative that there's just there was too much out there. They're trying, you know, this it becomes the trying to attach the fake news tag to things that are out there that you can't control that are that 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 aren't the story that you want told but it's like dude there's there's too much evidence to this fact and then and then whether it's the jersey retirement or it's steve saying you know we're not conscious you know we're not aware that kd's unhappy it's like okay what's he supposed to do call you up like he's getting he went to have surgery he moved to new york like don't don't try to like 
spin this when I can see you literally grabbing the story and spinning it with your hands. Like it's, it's, you're trying to convince me of something that you can't. And I mean, just take, take an L to be honest, you know, or just admit, Hey, you know what? Yeah, this is, we're, we're in a troubled situation because nobody's happy. Some, something along those lines, as opposed to, we don't know that this is going on. And, And that's, I mean, I don't know. You, this is where it gets tough too, because yeah, Katie, look, a lot of, lot of history there, a lot of accomplishments. You win rings together. I, I'm sure your bond with certain teams and certain teammates, and maybe even even coaches and organizations, because of your collective accomplishments, it kind of muddies the water. Even if you like hold a, a resentment about something, I feel like KD mm-hmm. is in that place, but that he doesn't resent that things went the way that it did I, I just I don't know I mean do you do you find any any fault with whatever KD might be feeling right now no because obviously you know that happiness is one thing if you find that you hold on to it okay you, hmm. you truly do game of basketball if the thing if the things that transpired in at, at Golden State were minimal I think KD could deal with it okay yeah, because he was truly happy while he was there. Yeah, he had some stuff to mix up with, you know, Draymond. Yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't enough like to block. That. They, but, they got but past that. Wasn't that. Enough. Evidently, there's again, there's more to it than just well, KD. I, I, I want to go control my own narrative and go to a team. If you had that special bond with that team, yeah, then certain things that happen, you're you let go. You know, because you got to have that in relationship. But obviously, there's more to it there that Katie felt that he couldn't kind of get over, and he had to remove himself from the situation. And a lot of times, people don't understand that. Well, you're making a lot of money, you're winning, you're doing this, but am I truly happy? Right. Or am I just settling for being happy? Right. You know? And that's something only an individual that's in that situation can fully answer. And that's why I always, I always gear towards that individual has to make a decision that's best for them. Yeah, I go back to uh, a, a scene. It was just a brief scene that I fell upon in the locker room. I don't know. It was February, March, whenever it might have been. And KD had, I think, if I'm not mistaken, had a KD had a pretty big game and. Joe Lacob walked into the locker room afterward and he kind of turned a corner and ran into KD and congratulated him or put his hand out and you know said hey really nice job and it was so awkward it was so mm-hmm. stiff like mm-hmm. Joe had this kind of tight smile on his face and you could tell KD kind of took the hand reluctantly. And when I saw that, I went, oh, this is whatever, you know, the things I've been hearing. You just – and you hate to, like, put too much on one little incident or or interaction. But, boy, it spoke volumes to me. And I think about now, and I'm like, this – there was stuff there even before the whole injury thing where things just weren't completely copacetic. Well, remember what he said at the 
victory parade about mm. Kevin Durant. The kind of the comments then about Kevin Durant, Steph. You know what I mean? Yep. You've been you you've been privy enough to be around sports and in particular the NBA and locker rooms a long time. So the little subtle it's not the big thing. Yeah. You know, the it's the little subtle thing. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell when guys get along on the court. Yeah. It's a little subtle thing. Yep. I mean, yep. Li- real subtle. The the, the the body language, the look, the handshake. I can tell. Yeah. Okay. And that moment to you stuck out. Because you've seen it before and how that that evolves into something else. Yeah. Whereas the average person who's not around it enough, yeah. is you, you can't tell those subtle signs. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what fascinates me about the NBA or, or sports in general or, or professional sports, and, and we'll wrap on this, is mm-hmm. that for all of the, the money and the glamour it still comes down to the relationships and the chemistry of a team and do guys get along? I mean, it sounds so freaking simple, right? And and I we've had plenty of guys in the past and I, this, I kind of want to end on this because I wonder if, if you've seen this because there have been times, well, obviously, there's been plenty of teams and there have been successful teams where guys really didn't like each other or or and not they they didn't hang out they weren't boys there was a respect right. there was a respect there was respect hey this dude brings something to the team and 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 we're not the same without it so i really don't like his personality i don't like his choice in women i think he drives a stupid car like whatever it might be right um doesn't dude doesn't know how to dress but man like he, he gives us something i wonder in today's or if you saw this evolve over the course of your career, like those things do loom larger than when it was just, this is a job. And I don't know if it's a maturity level or whatever you would attribute it to that, that how guys get along or don't get along has a bigger impact in the league today than maybe it did 20, 25 years ago. Totally agree. Totally. I think because back in the day when you weren't making a lot of money, it was all about the job you needed to do. Hmm. We don't have to be friends. We don't have to hang out. But together, we need to work because I can only get paid if we play and vice versa. Okay? We don't have to hang out at the court, but this is all about being professional and coming in. I got to earn my way. Yeah. Right now in today's world, because these contracts, and, and you got to give credit to the union for stepping up and the TV money, guys don't get paid. Mm-hmm. So the emphasis on that part of it, of understanding the job part and separating the two and still being able to be effective, I think is so different. Yeah. A lot of these guys grow up playing together. They play with their friends. They do this. And they're a lot more sensitive yeah. to criticism, okay, and to what happens. So that sensitivity breeds discontent, which breeds, you know, a – non-performance or a not you don't have the continuity to separate the two right that yeah we may not agree upon a b and c but yet we still can do our job and go about our separate way this is totally different yeah this is the other part that just kind of struck me is the fact that you have guys that are 24 25 years old and they're not just making millions they're making oh, potentially oh, oh, oh. tens hundreds of millions 
and where that puts you in your headspace, you know, what, how that affects your headspace in your view of where you are in the world at that age, it, 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 it cause you're running, Mind-boggling. you're, and you're running like in a different circle, man. I mean, it's one thing to not have money growing up and then you get some money and you can live comfortably and you're living in a gated community and you're driving a top end car and all that. But then when you get into the tens and the hundreds of millions at 24, 25, and like Devin Booker, like, Who's he hanging out with? Like, I mean, it, it, his introduction and the people who want to know Devin Booker because he's making what he's making, that has to, I, I just, I can't, I don't even, I just wonder, that's got to be a, just a, the whole total head twister to have that at this. That's a whole new element to this, this whole narrative, I would think. Well, people always talk about the money, and the money is one aspect of it, and we, we touched on this on the show on, Speak for yourself yesterday, and I said the access yeah. is yes. also the critical part because the access you have when you become a superstar, millionaire, billionaire is so different than mm. what you're accustomed to. And when I'm talking about access, I don't care if that's trips or that's meeting certain individuals, if that's going to award shows, being introduced at these business comp, these business, whatever it is, that access is so it could be overwhelming at the time and you don't understand you're going through it because it's happening so fast but that's the world also that these young men have to deal with it's not just i got the money but i got the access to pretty much do whatever i want and sometimes i don't need the money to do it yeah it's because of the world and the people that i'm surrounded by that allows me be able to participate in these things that nobody else really even knows goes on yeah no that's also yeah a challenge yeah 100 percent. all right uh that does it for this episode of buker and friends with my friend my colleague jim jackson always a pleasure uh really appreciate the opportunity not only to do this but to be doing uh fs1 with you on a regular basis it has been a real pleasure working with you uh on air And uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get it, iTunes or wherever. And then if you screenshot that review and send it to at Buker Friends, you'll be eligible to win some prizes. All right. In the next podcast, I will be joined by Ryan Hollins. And I would imagine we will have a verdict on where Kawhi Leonard is going to land. And we will take a long look at that and what it means for the rest of the NBA. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.